This is the Nordic Asia podcast. Welcome to the Nordic Asia podcast, a collaboration sharing expertise on Asia across the Nordic region. My name is Satoko Naito. I'm a docent at the Center for East Asian Studies at the University of Turku in Finland. Today, I'm very excited to be joined by Dr. Jimin Park, who will be speaking about K-pop and factors behind its immense global popularity. Dr. Park is a visiting lecturer at Paris Institute of Political Studies and an associated researcher at the EU Center at Seoul National University. His research is related to competitiveness between organizations, industries, and countries, and the various strategies employed by these institutions. He has also taught a number of online courses for AsiaNet, the Finnish University Network for Asian Studies, coordinated by the Center for East Asian Studies here. So thank you very much, Jimmy, for your valuable contribution to contributions to AsiaNet, and of course, for joining me here today. Thank you very much for your invitation, and it is my great honor. Great. It's great to hear. Thank you. Uh, before we get to K-pop in particular, I'd mm-hmm. love to hear your thoughts on the so-called Korean wave. I think the first time I heard it, the phrase was Hanyu in Japanese or Haryu, and it was in Japan in the early to mid-2000s, I believe, and it, has to do, it had to do with Korean television dramas they became extremely popular in Japan. But of course, a lot has happened in the last 20 years. Uh, Can you first explain to us what the phrase Haryu or Korean wave means in the global context? Okay, the Korean wave, actually the terminology was invented by um, Chinese journalists in the late 1990s. Basically at the time, this is referring the craze for all about Korea. So Korean food, like kimchi, mm-hmm. Korean you know, entertainment content, like a drama and films. So basically everything, even including, you know, the car, okay? But one interesting point nowadays, if you say the Korean wave or Hallyu, it means basically it's very positive, right? But initially it was not. To means basically, if you know, you, you already know the kanji, right? So, Hanyu, which means basically it's a cold wave. They just replaced the first word, cold, mm. to Korea. Okay? So, yeah, the pronunciation is like Hanyu, mm-hmm. so which means basically cold wave, which means basically the Chinese initially, they, they didn't welcome the Korean wave. They feel like this is not something good. But it has changed. It has changed the meaning. And then nowadays, you know, if you say Hanyu, Hanyu content has meaning. A positive meaning. Right. So the word initially was comprised of two kanji or Chinese characters meaning cold and wave. Then cold was changed to Korea, a homonym. So pronounced the same way. That's really interesting. Yeah, and it went from a negative to a positive word, as you say. Well, and now as as you've noted elsewhere, Korea is a powerhouse producer of culture content. So how how and when did that change come about? Well, internally, domestically, yes, that is around 1990s. The first thing is actually for, for the Korean music industry. It was more like 1992. There is a Korean boy band called Dusuki and Idol. Right, that's so Taiji and boys. So they came to Korea with a different genre, like hip hop, rap, 
which was um, very new at the time in Korea. Yeah, the one who began the kind of music, music style. Also, they, came, they brought a lot of you know, different things from the United States. Second one, which is very important, but a lot of people didn't talk about it because, you know, due to the diplomatic difficulties between Korea and Japan. Well, although I'm Korean, but, you know, I have to be very, you know, objective okay, when you talk about cultural things, right, between Korea and Japan. The Korean culture industry copied a lot of things from Japan. I see. Yeah. It's not just about K-pop, but drama and films and everything, basically. Even some kind of snack, you know, like, uh, you know, rapping, you can see that audience is from Japan. Basically, we copied a lot of things from, okay, Japan. But then it was after the economic crisis in 1997, Mm -hmm. the time the Kim Dae-jung President Kim Dae-jung, he opened up the Korean market, okay? the Korean culture industry mm-hmm. towards Japan, mm-hmm. which means basically before we didn't have any proper, you know, like a, a relationship with the culture industry. So which means basically Korean entertainment companies or Korean singers and bands, whatever, they can copy Japanese content without paying any copyright fee. Right, so they did not pay copyright fees. Because, you know, we did not have any exchange in terms of culture, I mean, culture Uh, industry, culture, mm -hmm. okay, here. And then they believe Korean people, the Korean audience, they did not know this is from Japan, that is from Japan, whatever, okay? But once we open up the market, which means basically Japanese company can accuse copyright infringement. So the Korean companies, they have to make the contents different Japanese content, so they cannot copy Japanese uh, content anymore. Mm-hmm. So they try to work more and harder in order to avoid all the copyright problems. I see. So that pushed Korean company to be more strategic you know, in terms of you know contents and then content making. I see. So so what were the kind of innovations, the creative measures that they took? Well. It is, you know, basically combining everything from here and there. For example, well, a lot of people believe that culture is very unique, but from my view, culture is not unique at all, actually. Okay? <laughs> There's a lot of global exchange. And then also the global thing has something unique, look of which is available locally, and then they combine together and they became culture somehow, all right? So this means basically, well, Korea, the K-pop is completely from, from Korean traditional music, so it's not really Korean thing. But then we are basically accepting a lot of things from United States and Japan and combining. Mm-hmm. And then we know that we study a lot and we know, oh, if we change this part, it can be more interesting. Mm-hmm. If we add something more, it can be more appealing. Okay, interesting upon what also this one is related to consumer. All right. When it comes to culture industry, the most important important thing is openness. If you open, basically, even though your local content is not really good, but by accepting or receiving cultural content, which is from other country, then better quality. If the consumers get exposed to this kind of content and then their sophistication and you know, increase. For example, let's say right after the Korean War, everything got destroyed. 
But at the time, the United States Army, they brought a lot of Hollywood films. So the Korean consumers, they get exposed. They got exposed to those kind of films. Although the Korean film industry cannot produce a lot of films, consumers, as they has, you know, have been exposed to Hollywood films, they have good sophistication. They can tell, oh, this film is good. This film is not good or something. I see. So the Korean audience was exposed to American Hollywood films, which made them more discerning, more sophisticated as consumers, as you've said. Okay. Which means basically Korea, although we didn't open, but Korean film uh, music industry received a lot of things from, from Japan and United States legally and illegally. Okay. Yeah, okay. illegally and legally, because um, before uh, Kim Dae-jung, Korean companies cannot import Japanese music. Right. They cannot show Japanese film and then drama, anything. Okay. But there is always demand. You know, it's more like in you know, a Pandora box. If the government said you should not do it, then people, they try. They are curious about it. Okay. But they do it. And then although Korea did not open anything, we are almost banned Japanese culture contents, but there is some people who are really interested in Japanese drama, J-pop, and Japanese films. Okay? And then they adopted it. Then they, well, I know because personally, when I was in high school in 1990s, I was the one who was listening to, who was listening to Japan, Japanese uh, J-pop, like mm-hmm. in X-Japan, Lunacy, uh, okay? And then at the time, what you said, with my friend, you said, oh, how come we cannot produce any music like that? You know, they can produce great music and then we cannot do it. Then actually, you know, as a J-pop lover, I never expected that Korea was able to. But yeah. again, you know, by exposing, adopting something from other countries, it can enhance. Which means basically the Korean audience market was somehow well-developed. So the companies, they have to try, they have to produce something with the demand. So by internationalized or globalized, Korean uh, sophistication is as, you know, as good as other countries, like a Japanese level or, you know, American level. Mm-hmm. So which means basically when companies try to meet the demand, then automatically they can make something appealing not just to Korean you know, consumers, but also to Japanese or, you know, Americans. I do also remember in the 90s that J-pop was big throughout East Asia, not just in Japan. And around the end of the decade, some specific J-pop artists were getting ready to expand into Europe and the U.S. But then, so far as I know, those efforts seemed to fizzle. Soon after, I started hearing about K-pop. And now, of course, I only hear about K-pop, really uh, popular groups, but almost never about J-pop, at least internationally. So can you talk a little bit about how that may have happened? Well, that is an interesting question, but very important, actually. Right. As a J-pop lover, when I was in high school, right, <laughs> basically the time to buy Japanese CD, music CD, okay, the price is really expensive. Okay. Okay, it was almost like, you know, at the time, by Korean won, like, it was impossible as a high school student, you possible to buy one, right? Mm-hmm. So which means basically CDs, very expensive in Japan. Another one, because of, you know, Korean companies cannot import Japanese CD, okay? Right. right. It really, the availability is very low in Korea. 
So people, if you know, I buy some CD, okay. So, I mean, for example, if my parents Japan or my you know, uncle would it, I usually ask them, can you please buy you know one CD for me? And I went that one and that one, and then they bought it. And then, then the next day I go to school and then I show that one with, you know to my friends and you know I saw I bought I bought this one, you know, whatever, something like that. So the scarcity makes it more important, right? In Japan, the Japanese music, music industry, in terms of market size, still is number two in the world, right after the United States. Mm-hmm. So Japanese music industry is not failing at all. Still, right. it's maintaining its big size, and then it is really close, uh, strong enough, okay? However, the big difference between J-pop and K-pop is international popularity, all right? Now... Japan's Japanese music industry has developed with technology, which means basically when Sony developed Walkman, mm-hmm. Japanese company, they knew that there was a huge consumption for music. All right. So you develop cassette tape and then later you move to CDs. Mm-hmm. So always you should have something to play the music. Right. Right. Now, that means basically if the international fans want to consume Japanese music, they have to buy cassette and CDs, export. But what if there is no export, but consumers can access those con- contents? And that is a completely different story. That's internet, actually, mm-hmm. right? Right now, uh, before, Japan has number two uh, music industry, which is very large. So Japanese companies, they developed really well-developed copyright system. Because royalty is very important, and then they have to make good money in order to give them money to the songwriters, the singers, you know, all, all the members. So they made really, really complicated copyright system, which is well developed. But with birth of internet and digitization, the education has been completely different. Mm-hmm. It's basically copyright hinders the diffusion of music right now through internet. Still, Japan maintain the copyright, and then if you go to YouTube, you cannot find recent K-pop online because the copyright is really strong. In Korea, it's a completely different story. Korea was messy, and the people they didn't respect copyright at all. The singers they didn't, the companies they didn't, and they, they don't care about copyright. So in 1990s, a lot of people they are criticizing for you know, copy, copyright infringement of consumer, they said there's no future for K-pop and that it will kill Korean music industry. Mm. But with internet, actually, people, they copy a lot of music from TV and cassette tape, but then it can be moved freely without paying anything. A lot of people, they just unload it online. Then the international fans, they you know, discovered K-pop and they especially the young students, you know, for them, 10 euro is something, although 10 euro is nothing for us. But then they said, okay, without paying anything, there's good contents that are available, and then they can enjoy it. And then whenever they like it, just download it. So it's a completely different thing. Also, I, as I explained, you know, during the 1990s, K-pop has you know, enhanced its quality a lot. Okay? Mm. So this, for them, it's a good quality. It's interesting. Also, another aspect, because the way people consume K-pop music is very different. I mean, it's not just K-pop, actually, but nowadays, because you're using computer, tablet, PC, and smartphone, 
But the way you consume music is not just listening to music, but it's more like listening to music at the same time by watching the music video, right? So this is why the Korean companies, they also focus on group dance. They need to provide something visible, something, you know, visual image that can please the consumers. This is why, you know, K-pop, some people still criticize, for example, like a boy band, they put a lot of makeup on their face. They say, oh, this is not really man, macho, something, whatever. But then, actually, this is related to the visual thing. Group dance is also in order to increase the impact of group, they do the group dance. So this became kind of unique feature for K-pop, right? So basically, K-pop used these kind of things. Whenever they release a new song, they have their own channel on YouTube. And then the right next day or right after one hour, you can watch new, new music video. And then they are available online. It's not just K-pop, but also Korean dramas. And after one hour, you can you can see it, you can find it without paying anything. So people they already you know, put you know, the um, subtitles in Japanese, English, Vietnamese, Turkish. You know, so they are the contents they are available online, and the people enjoy it. And the next day, the young people, for them, they you know they talk, they love talking about something new, right? Then they said, oh, you know that BTS released a new song. This is awesome. You know, they, but when it comes to J-pop, because the copyright is real protected, and, you know, the new song, people, they know there's something new, but they cannot, they, can, they are not available online. You know, they don't talk about it. I see. So it's a big difference of access in terms of this kind of dissemination for the consumer. That makes a lot of sense about the growing popularity of K-pop and other... Korean soft culture products, but it also then makes me wonder, of course, I guess they get revenues from YouTube channels, I guess, but otherwise how, there's a reason why the Japanese copyright laws are so strict, mm -hmm. um, as you said, because, because of royalties to the artists and the various people who produce the music and the videos. So how, how does that work? It sounds to me like for K-pop as a whole and for the kind of Korean cultural brand, this is all very good, but are the artists themselves, uh, the people who work on these and on the content, are, are they being compensated, do you think, fairly? A very good question. All right. Yes, you're right. Completely right. The, uh, the copyright is there in order to, you know, like what, guarantee some sort of income or revenue for singers and songwriters. That is true. When there is a no internet, Copyright was very important, but with internet, actually the revenue source has been changed, which means basically a long time it was just a sales of CDs or cassette. Nowadays, it is not the case anymore because um, it's Japan, it's the same actually. How many CD players do you have at your place? Right. <laughs> okay, then why people buy CDs? Okay, so this means basically people buy CDs not listen to you know, the, the music there, but because there's something others. Now, the people, they don't buy CD, and then now the Korean companies, they realize this one, all right? Which means basically, it looks like they don't make a lot of money from uh, sales of CD, but they found another source, which is YouTube. The YouTube is very interesting because um, you click, and then income is related to the advertisement, right? So if Korean content has a lot of advertisement and people click it, and the YouTube makes a lot of money, and then YouTube gives some some part of the money to 
different you know, company. Um, so content itself doesn't make any money, but for YouTube, the number of clicks or advertisements, that is more important. They know that the uh, Japanese company, Danis, they once asked YouTube, hey, YouTube, you unload, you know, a music video of my, you know, bands. So for that, you have to pay copyright fee. YouTube said, excuse me, no, 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 it's not us. We just provide consumers with platform. And it is your fans who would like to share your music with others. So we don't need to pay anything. Right? Then Johnny said, all right, well, in this case, we will do something, and then you're going to hear something from you know, my you know, lawyer. Then YouTube said, all right, if you don't like, well, okay, that is fine, but that is your, you know, your mistake. So I just say Johnny's, right? So the one of Japan's most famous talent agencies or music entertainment companies. Later, if you go to YouTube anonymously, and then just put up K-pop and K-pop and click just the same, same, same rates, ratio, okay, one to one, all right? Put BTS and RRC, K-pop, K-pop, first generation, AKB48. Then on the right side, the recommended video, it is, you can see a lot of K-pop. Because YouTube, you know that by using K-pop contents, they don't need to pay a lot of copyright fee to create companies, but they can make a lot of fee by increasing the number of clicks from watchers, okay? So people, they watch it. It's not just music video itself, but people, they are using Korean content to make their own contents. Right. For example, like a music reaction video, mm -hmm. okay? For example, you make some kind of BTS music reaction video and the copyright fee goes not to you, but to BTS, okay? So the availability makes, you know, the totally different game. The second, it's not about the music too, but also there are huge, you know, secondary sources such as concerts, right? CDs and cassettes you can copy, but concerts you cannot copy at all, actually, right? You can enjoy or you can watch the concert online, but this is completely different from the on-site concert, right? So I, the people, they listen to K-pop and they love it, and then there is a huge desire or huge demand. Oh, I want to go to the concert of K-pop group. Okay. So they go there a lot. 2000, I think that is a 2018, one of K-pop group, like a big bang. Their concert ranked number 10 in, 10 in terms of ticket sales. Recently, since I think in last year, no, it's since 2019, yes. BTS concert is one of the most successful concerts and they make huge money. Okay, so the, from the concert is a huge thing, all right? Another interesting aspect, they also produce a lot of secondary goods. Okay, some goods that has a member's face or, you know, like, a, you know, a scarf and then accessories, like, a, you know, so this is another, you know, income source. Of course, we copy that one from Japan. So early on, K-pop included some elements from J-pop and American hip-hop, you've said, but you also mentioned adding qualities to improve upon those elements. So was, what kind of quality exactly are you talking about? Okay, well, right. Well, you have to understand the history, actually. Okay. Which means basically when you buy CD or cassette, basically there are you know, eight or 10 music, right? Mm -hmm. 
And among eight or ten music, how many music do you like? Do you like all of the songs or one or two songs? Right, usually the latter, yeah. Exactly. Well, in Korea, as I told before, we did like, respect the copyright, which means basically they just use, you know, really good songs, right? Mm-hmm. The companies, they realize, all right, okay, the people, there are some people, illegal vendors, they just collect good songs from group A, group B, group C, and they, they make some kind of compilation album. Then the Korean companies realize, oh, this is not album, this is about a song, and they really have to produce really quality song. Okay, now within Korea, they figured it out. It is almost impossible to produce good quality song. So initially, the SM Entertainment, okay, the they contacted Japan. Mm. Okay, there is a huge differences. At the time in Korea, the main genre of music song is ballad, which is basically mellow, you know. But Japan has a completely different person. Different, different path, which means basically because of Walkman, is wider, Walkman was widely available in Japan. Long time ago, the earphone, the quality is not good, right? Mm-hmm. So if you want people to listen to the music really well, you have to increase or make the beat really strong, okay? okay. So, in 90, so in 90s, if you compare Japanese music and Korean music, Japanese music was really in, like, you know, noisy the Korean ears, right? So Korea contacted the Japanese company and then they received some music, but from Korean's view, the, the consumer's view, the music is not good, I mean, too noisy, too much, you know. Then they said, all right, what do we have to do? And then the SM Entertainment people, they traveled around Europe and then they found one music which is really, really nice. Then they contacted the songwriter and the songwriters said, well, I don't know who you are. I don't know Korea. I don't know SM Entertainment. But if you like, I can give you the right to use my music. Mm-hmm. Right. So the SM Entertainment, you know, they have one girl band. Then they release cover song, Dreams Come True. And then actually that is really not uh, written by a Finnish songwriter. And then it achieved great success in Korea. Then... He said, all right, it's not Japan, but it's uh, Europe. And we need to go to Europe and find some songwriters and then work together. So they came. Then since then, uh, SM Entertainment have a lot of collaboration with Swedish, Danish, uh, Finnish music and musicians. Okay. Actually, I visited Stockholm to meet one of the songwriters, you know, famous one. I talked to him and then he's, he also wrote a lot of songs for Britney Spears. So same person, he, his comment was very interesting. He said, I was the one who wrote you know, music for Britney Spears. I was the one who is writing some music for Girls' Generation and Big Bang. And then people criticizing Korean bands because the music is not good. Then I, understand, I don't understand. That's what he said. But anyway, so by collaborating with you know, the Western musicians, of course, Swedish music is also well-known because of there's ABBA and a lot of, you know, famous groups before. So by collaborating with them, the Korean music companies, they can able to enhance the music quality, right? Now, Korea produce and they released their music on YouTube and there's a lot of consumers and they just, you know, kind of in uh, comments. I like that one, I didn't like that one, blah, 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 blah. If it can be better if you had something, you know. Now, Korean music, 
have a lot of contact with consumers. Okay, by doing so, Korean companies got to know. Oh, okay, the audiences they like this kind of music, that kind of music. Mm-hmm. If you pay some money to YouTube, they can give you more detailed information. Mm-hmm. Okay, people from Japan like this music. People from you know Finland like that kind of music. People from France like this kind of music. So the companies they do have a lot of data sets, right? This is why if you go over the BTS song or the Gus Generation or whatever in the company, you can see there's this very different genre. Somehow they are testing at the same time. They try to figure it out and the music, people like it. Okay, so we kind of using the foreign, you know, ability. But nowadays, a lot of comp- Korean companies, they also, you know, work alone. They can work alone. It's already the market, you know, is very sophisticated. I see. So there's international collaboration, but also now close systematic attention paid to consumer preferences. I see. Well, thank you so much. The history and state of K-pop is really fascinating. We were speaking earlier and you mentioned you're working on three books simultaneously. So, and also, may I say congratulations on your new baby. So you have thank a lot you. happening right now, um, but best wishes to you. And thank you so much for, for taking you. time out of your really extremely super busy schedule to talk with us. Thank you very much again for inviting me. And to our listeners, thank you for joining the Nordic Asia podcast, showcasing Nordic collaboration in studying Asia. Thanks again. You have been listening to the Nordic Asia podcast.